This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello, welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. My name is Lisa. My name is Kara. And, and every you know, week. <laughs> you took too long of a pause. And you know how we do this. Every week we examine an episode of SVU, the true crime it was based on, and talk to some amazing star who was in that episode. And uh, today's no different. We're excited for our guest and... I know we, you guys already got an episode since the Drag Race finale. You were probably expecting us to tackle it then, but uh, we, the order that we're recording, this is when you're getting it. So if you don't want to know who won Drag Race, I don't know, get off the internet and stop listening to this podcast for the next five minutes. I mean, it's impossible. You have to try not to see, you have to try hard not to get a Drag Race spoiler. But Lisa called it. I was sort of going for Gottmik, um, just because I would have loved to have seen Simone on All Stars. No, Simone straight up, like when she came out in the handkerchief dress, a tear in my eye. Like I was, <laughs> I was, ta- I was blown away. Also, Lisa was watching this at my house with me and and two other friends. And I just want to tell you guys that when they were talking about like the lip syncs tonight are going to be by one artist, Lisa had her head in her hands. And was like waiting for them to say it. And they were like, the one and only Britney Spears. And she was just like, oh my God. It was, like, <laughs> it was too good to be true that it was Britney. <laughs> it was awesome. It was so, so good. And I saw that she is the most um, lip synced artist of all of Drag Race. Oh my God. She I has mean, even her like B sides that I don't, I mean, I won't say Till the World Ends is one of my favorites or like, you know, but. Um, if you pop a Molly, I think it'll be one Wait, of when favorites. they start listening to it. I was like, this slaps just like every Britney song, you know, like 
It is, uh, it is very, very good. But I love Gottmik, but she did lose the lip sync. You know, it is what it is. Um, but also, I would have loved a final two of Gottmik Simone, but the wheel is wild. That's, I mean, literally, our friend Joel Kim Booster was like tweeting, "Can they not rig the wheel? I don't understand. Like, <laughs> does this show not have the money to rig the wheel?" And I've never, I didn't, I never worked on the finale because I was going to work on the finale of season eleven, and I had just just had my baby, and they were like, "Can you work on this?" And I was like, "Can you give me like two weeks to like have my like be with my baby?" And so I didn't work on that finale, but I don't think that they do rig it. I think that it is just like being spun. Yeah, but also in the past, they made the queens choose who, like if it rolled on you, right. then you got to choose who you got. Who you want so to go So this was an extra twist that there's no one has control over anything. It's all wheel-based. Yeah, and I think this is what they did with the Silky season because I remember people thinking like, oh, this knocks out like a person you thought was going to be in the top two, whatever. I mean, Candy Muse as number two overall is surprising. I mean, people are going to be shocked by that. Well, I was listening to the pit stop with Trixie and Katya and they did um, sell Candy's reveal. They're like, Rosé's reveal was very obvious and Candy Muse's with the white and the colorful, it was a surprise. It was like um, a reveal you didn't see coming. Obvi yeah. I mean, the Simone reveal where it's like, oh, it's a giant wig. There'll be a wig underneath. And then instead it was like ribbon flyers in a I mean that was it was like, like a propeller or something oh, it was wild it was so good but I love the nail look with the hands holding the pigtails it's just artistry at its finest Simone is reference on reference like today I was looking at the details of the wig Gigi Good made her wig and like there was finger waves. And then when you look at the nail dress, you're like, oh, it is a 20 style flapper. And she yeah. has finger waves like it is rough. And then like the Medusa look with the jewelry on the armor. I mean, it's just so thought out and beautiful and incredible. And um, I'm really proud of her. Yeah. And it was a fun finale. I mean, look, it's not it's not the same. I was saying it's not the same energy as the past finales where there's other queens in the audience and their parents are in the audience and it's really fun. But it was like for COVID, it was I thought it was better than doing it on Zoom. And, you know, well, we also got to see like magnificent outfits like each of those outfits are like ten thousand dollars. Like those are or maybe I'm just saying that. Please don't <laughs> that, don't quote me. But it was to have a fashion show of that caliber was. A yeah, treat. it was basically a ball. They just like did a ball for the finale, which is fun. Um, we didn't love the Bette Midler number, which Ugh. is weird because we love Bette Midler, but that was he, not for us. No, I don't need uh, them singing in boy looks. I don't need that <laughs> at all. I don't need the slow. I don't know if any of them connect with Bette in any way. It was uh, we. I understand the AIDS message, but I would have rather had a Queen song. And I uh, we do love Bette. I don't know. I didn't. Yeah. Um, I didn't understand. So what else is happening? I am extremely jealous because you and one of our other friends are going to New York next week. I miss New York so much. Everyone, my friend, I just talked to my sister. She said it was pretty glorious in New York this past weekend, like weather-wise. I mean, I, I'm arriving on a Tuesday and I'm leaving on a Thursday. Let's be honest with, uh, you know, the quickness. But yeah. am I staying at a magnificent hotel that a network is paying for? That's right. <laughs> uh, did I already make drinks and dinner reservations? I sure did. And uh, I'm ex yeah, I'm excited. And I'm going to go to my coffee shop. I lived across the street from a coffee shop. Claudia's, what's up? Bushwick Ave. It used to be called CeeLo, but 
I went there at least five times a week. Like when I moved, people were like, how are they going to stay afloat? <laughs> I, I was ordering full banana breads for any party I ever was invited to. The cold brew I still dream about. The breakfast burrito. It's Guatemalan food. I love every I just cannot wait to go to my place. That New York uh, here too. I like being a regular. That's like part of my passion. Yes. I like a neighborhood. I like being a regular. I like waving. I like people knowing what's up. I like sometimes I would go there without any clothes on and I would just throw on a jacket and go in no pants. And like, I like that. That's insane. What? Well, sometimes because I'd roll out of bed and I was like in my heavy stoner days and I would just be like, I would just put on a coat and Uggs and walk on over. You wouldn't feel like maybe I should throw on a pair of like box or like nighttime shorts or something to cover my. No, because I have my coat. Wow. If you were wearing a dress, you wouldn't have to wear shorts. I just (laughs) uh, there's something about just being naked under a coat going to a bodega to me. That is not a bodega, a coffee shop, a coffee shop. But I'm thinking of my (laughs) personal bodega, which is where that was my regular place. And if I had walked in there in like a coat bare legged they would have been like are you okay do you need us to call your sister like they- <laughs> that's like an svu character off the exactly. street like help i just I did not like- anticipate this reaction this is like the silverware debacle because <laughs> i um i totally thought that would be a throwaway line of me just talking about how i'm such a regular i didn't need to put on clothes no, Lisa, and all these things you think are regular throwaway lines are shocking to me <laughs> this keeps happening where Yeah, I just like I would be I have like an active like imagination where I'm like, okay, so what if I got locked out? I guess I could just go down there in my coat and my underwear. But what if I get locked out? What if I have to chase somebody who steals my wallet down the street and I'm in my underwear? Like, I don't know. I just are you wearing underwear under the coat or are you just? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got my Calvin's on. Wow. Lisa. But it did remind me. So you saw. So my freshman year in college roommate, I like. I had all these missed calls. I exited class and I had all these missed calls from her and I called her back and she was livid at me because I guess she was in the shower that we all shared and I locked the door as I left to go to class. And so she was like, I had to go in my towel downstairs and like yelled. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. I, I wouldn't have locked it. I don't understand. What door did you lock? To our dorm. We shared a dorm. Oh, oh, and you were she was in the communal shower. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. like, I, well, the immigrant in me was like, what am I saying yes. wrong? What's no, happening I to me? Feel, <laughs> I feel for her because you know what happened to me? I think this is the reason why this whole thing triggers me. When I was in eighth grade, we went to Washington, D.C., the entire class on a trip. My mom bought me this like, weirdly silky Christian Dior, like not, and not designer Christian Dior, like Macy's rack, Christian Dior, whatever short, silky bathrobe. And so like, I brought it with me on the trip. We all get there. We're all checking into a hotel. We're like in eighth grade. We can't believe we get to stay in hotel rooms with our friends. I put this like robe on and go to another friend's room or something. And then I come back and my friends have left the room and I'm in the hallway with my entire class filing past me in a silky short robe and I'm naked underneath. So you're basically telling me that you're doing my eighth grade DC trip to the bodega or the coffee shop like all the time. And it's just it's throwing me for a loop. Wait, did your student, did your peers say anything? Of course. They were all like, whoa, woo, woo. And I was like, oh, my God, this is my fucking nightmare. I mean, I had braces like it was. Well, no, but Kara, my story gets dark. <laughs> she refused to speak to me. She did not accept my apology. <gasps> 
And she stopped talking to me fully. And I didn't want to live in a room with someone that ignored me. And I kept being like, girl, it was an accident. Like that's you cannot really, do this. That's a little bit much. I mean, that's a, mis- that's a common mistake. So then I ruined her life until she moved out. <gasps> Okay. I put photos of myself all over the room. I like blared music. I would blow dry my hair in the morning. Like we were on a full out war and then she moved away and ripped my white socks, uh, world series posters. But wow. She knew how to get you where it hurts. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, I acted insane. Like I'm sure she tells people like, Oh, I lived with a lunatic who like ruined my life and moved to the TV, whatever. But in my head, it's like, just accept my apology. Like no, whatever. Yeah, that, that's also, cause that's one of those things where it's like, what if you had left the door open and you guys had gotten robbed and it would have been like, but I left the door open because you were in the shower. Like, no, she was like, where else would I have been? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> See, the <laughs> like, thing I liked about our dorms in college was we had codes to get in. Every room was coded. So like you didn't have to have keys or anything. Wow. Loved it. But then of course everybody knew your code. So the security was low. Uh, Lily Millie. That. that was her name. Lily Millie. Oh my God. Stop making up names, Lisa. Okay, no, it was. Probably... <laughs> no, she had a last name. I'm not going to say it, but. Oh, that was her middle name. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I know. Hannah is giving me the shut your fucking mouth symbol. Well, we can cut it out. We can, why can't we beep it? But that does sound like a child's like toy line. Like, did you get the latest Lily Millie? Okay. Um, <laughs> We should get started because we have a great episode for you today. A real barn burner. That's from Big Business. Didn't I say barn burner one time and you said you didn't know what it meant? No, because it's, but it's from Big Business. Of course I know what it means. Oh, okay. I thought I said something like barn burner and you go, I don't know what that is, but it's going to be big. (laughs) (laughs) We have listened to all of your demands, requests, emails, DMs. We are paying the ransom. (laughs) We are doing identity. Oh my gosh. This has been from the beginning, the most requested episode. We've gotten so many DMs that are like, do the one with the twins, do identity. Like, so here it is guys. Season six, episode 12. And I don't know if this is a specific, you know, I, I think this is too conspiracy theory, but it's about twins and 12 divided by two is six. Is this a coincidence? I don't know. Or is SVU communicating? I read your note in the doc and was like, I don't think it is, but I'm happy for Lisa to keep thinking that it is. So the episode starts off zoomed in on a GPS in like a silver sporty convertible car. And it's two guys that are trying to get laid and meet models at an after party. And you could tell they're dorks. One guy's named Melvin. So he's not getting any. (laughs) Uh, But they're like, is this the after party? I don't know. It looks kind of digi. And so while they're arguing, bam. A body falls onto their windshield. So we're starting with a big crash. Strong opening. Strong Strong opening, opening, SVU. So uh, the pants are around the ankles of this guy, and they know that he was thrown off the roof because there's no windows on the building. So already the detective work is out of control. No, I don't know. But the detective work is (laughs) top notch. (laughs) Top notch. That's a good one. Okay. And they're, you know, Melinda, everyone's on the case. The detectives, Melinda's there, and they're debating like, well, 
could this be a sex worker because $2,000 was left behind. And if it was a sex worker, they would hopefully take the money. So then Melinda is so funny and she goes, well, it wasn't a fat enough stack to cushion this fall. So that's, <laughs> a, you know, some dead body humor, which I appreciate. I like an Emmy with a, with a sense of humor. What did you ever watch Dexter? Yeah. The whole thing. Their uh, medical examiner was a real who he was like a pervert. Um, I don't know if you remember <laughs> yeah, him. I remember. Um, I forgot his name, but he was a creep. And I wonder if Melinda would go on a date with him or not. Anyways, I mean, <laughs> she's out of his league. But and then Melinda, I don't know how she knows this, but the heart was still pumping when he w- was thrown off this roof. So he died with the crash. Um, he has a Rolex diamond stud. So they know he has money. And one of the jewelry pieces has SCA on it. And they're like, oh, what is that? We got to do research. And I need to say the fashion um, right away is amazing. Stabler is in a dark denim jacket. His badge is on the outside front pocket of the coat. I'm very attracted to this look. He has a baseball cap on. Very cash dad, middle of the night. You know, yeah, these later seasons, they do throw Stabler in a denim jacket quite a bit. Yeah, if this was like a little toddlers and tiaras um, competition, this would be like athleisure wear. Um, this would be his look <laughs> for that. And then Marishka has like a the mom and Brady Bunch flip swoop bangs highlights. Yes, yes, you're right. It's very mom and Brady Bunch. It's very Florence Henderson. Swoop. Yeah, thank you for remembering her name. I was like, yeah. I could I, gun to my head. I don't know her name. I, <laughs> um, and then we do get the wildest evidence given to us by our Emmy. Um, she says there are bite marks on the dick so that's great information um and then of course the credits follow a moment like that you know (laughs) bite on the dick ba-boom um so that's (laughs) how they play with us so we find out the body is Louis vega um and he's been to jail before for assault burglary um no like sexual crimes before and he's been out of jail for six months and iced tea of course from his previous work in other in was it the gang unit or drug unit I thought he was in Vice, but Vice. yeah, you get the feeling he's maybe done gang stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. So he knows that SCA is a gang called Stone Cold Assassins. Um, and I do need to preface this next time. This is the longest red herring in, I think, SVU history. There is a huge long runaround. We cannot get into the details of all of this gang stuff because we have so much twin action ahead of us. Um, so I'm going to try to scoot us along. Um, but this is like the Simpsons style red herring, if I've ever seen one. So Munch remembers Claudia, um, who is a woman who accused the dead body of assault before um, the death of this guy and then dropped the charges. So they're going to go visit Claudia. She's working at a fruit store. She's rude. She's like, what the fuck? Go away. I'm not, I'm busy. I have fruits to put away. And then um, she said she actually never made it into the gang because she didn't pass the initiation. I'm not really thrilled with this initiation, but basically women that want to join the gang, you toss the dice and then whatever you roll is how many people you have to have sex with. And she rolled 11 but she only made it through three and Lewis was number four. And so she left and then he attacked her in the stairwell. And um, they're like, so you got revenge, you got revenge. And she's like, fuck you. You think I'm the only girl this guy raped? Get in line, okay? There's tons of people, which I thought was kind of a great point. Like this guy's a scumbag. Um, 
So lots of people wanted him dead. And so then they move on to a pizza place with pinballs. Where are we? I don't understand. But <laughs> these two girls that look like they ransacked a Claire's accessories store are playing pinball. There's bandanas, beanies, earrings, rings, necklaces. I mean, so much gold on these girls. And one of them has acrylic nails with SCA printed on them. And I relate to this look when the White Sox went to the World Series. I did get acrylic nails that said White Sox with the diamonds and the pinkies. So <laughs> I get it. Um, so they have a conversation with them. They're like, yada, yada, gang, the pizza slices are ready. We're busy. And they give us the scoop that Luis used to fuck with a, um, a mute, deaf, homeless woman. Is that politically correct? How do I explain it to her? She can't hear, she can't talk, and she's living on the streets. So that's the scoop on her. Um, and they said that she was hot. So she's not ugly and she sleeps on the roof. That's the scoop we get from the Claire's girls. So now we're at St. Anne's um, with Sister Peg, uh, the nun with all the heart. She knows sign language. So she throws on a purse that, you know, like a woman in a remote village made. And then you buy it at a street fair. Um, and the people are like, it's fair trade. And she's like, I'll, I'm supporting this purse. So it's that kind of a purse. You know, it's weaved. It's it's very weaved and um, <laughs> woven, <laughs> woven. Um they find uh, the the hot woman. She is digging in the trash with another woman named Betty. And she's like, go away. I was sleeping at Grand Central last night. And they're like, what? We didn't even say that last night. Why are you talking about last night? And so she goes, no, I went back to the roof um, afterwards. I saw his dead body on the car. And she goes, I had nothing to do with it. And they tell her, like, the gang is after you, whether you like it or not. So you need to work with us or like you're going to be dead. So she starts running away. Way and Sister Peg's like, leave her alone. I'll go talk to her. You don't even know sign language. And she doesn't trust you. So the scoop they get from Betty is Louise pays $50 a bag for the garbage that they put together. And the garbage is filled with bills, papers, addresses, things that you would use to fake identities and scam people and steal people's identities. So um, with that information, we then see the FBI and our cops break into this underground office, um, a sweat shop of identity theft uh, work is happening and Munch says and people call me crazy for shredding my junk mail and it's like no one is talking to you Munch okay like <laughs> you are so annoying but I do rip up my junk mail I do rip it up do you rip it up or do you have a shredder I don't have a shredder but I rip it up into enough pieces that nobody can open a credit card in my name I'm shocked you don't have a shredder and maybe you will soon oh Hanukkah baby <laughs> your birthday's before Hanukkah come on yeah you're right you're right <laughs> uh, what if when you have your baby I give you a shredder JK I <laughs> I already have your new baby's gift planned and I cannot wait to get it okay <laughs> But in my culture, we don't buy things before the baby is born. And I always am scared people think I'm cheap at baby showers and I'm not. I'm just. No, I totally <laughs> super get that. No, I don't think you do. OK. Um, <laughs> so now, unfortunately, Sister Peg runs into the precinct. She's crying. Katie's dead. Someone slit her throat, cut her face from ear to ear. Clearly, it's a message. And Sister Peg's upset. And but she did see the guy which is good. Now we're at the ME's office and the bite marks on the dick do not match Katie. But another twist in this whole story is um, th there's a Y chromosome in the genetic tests of the DNA saliva. Listen, a lot of science. So it's a man. So now we know the person that bit on the dick is a man. 
Now, Sister Peg is able to finger the guy that killed Katie. It's Hector Ramirez, and he has the weapon on him like an idiot. He has a dragon tattoo that Sister Peg saw. He's done. He says something about how Katie begged for her life and Sister Peg says, but she doesn't speak. And so they are like, what did she sign? What did she sign? And Hector Ramirez shows that before he killed Katie, she signed graffiti. So she kept saying graffiti, graffiti, graffiti. So they go back to the rooftop to check out all the graffiti there going off of Katie's clue of graffiti. So... They see a bunch of graffiti and there's a signature SYK and also B22B, which stands for born to be bad, which can only lead us to the Upper East Side. Such a dorky fucking name (laughs) for your crew. Oh, my God. It's very, very silly. So it's not a gang. It's a writing crew. They're in a rich kid's school and it's just graffiti rich kids. Um, Just and what Stabler says, which I like to learn this that graffiti is about street cred. So the three rules of it or how you get like street cred is style, volume, and degree of risk. So obviously this rooftop spraying would have been a very risky place. Yeah, I I think this is all very interesting because, you know, I live across the street from a high school and there's just one blank wall on the side of this high school that is constantly getting tagged and it's never good. No one's ever taking the time to like make a nice mural or do like a tribute to someone who died. It's literally just like a bunch of scribble bat and then they just they just paint over it two days later. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, what's the point? Well, I don't know if they're painting over it. The school probably the is. school's painting over it is what I'm saying. Yeah. So but I'm just saying, like, it's just not good. It's like I, it's I don't know. I get but I get how like it's probably really hot to do like an overpass where you have to like hang upside down and like do it and stuff. That shit's probably big points, big points. And I always I don't know if I've brought this up on the show before, but there's an episode of Project Runway from many seasons ago. I've never watched with Carly Kloss, um, but this was a Heidi year. But they called they had a graffiti challenge, but they called it aerosol art. and that always humiliated me so finally the red herring is done we are where we need to be and we meet logan stanton rich little boy in a little suit so yeah we go from full-on gang warfare and gang rapes to prep school kid in a tie and i love that i love that shocking twist logan is saying it's not me i'm not scared i'm pissed i was home in my bed back off motherfuckers and they well they find they find logan right because psycho is his tag like they have like a record they go talk to like the graffiti unit guy and he's like yeah s-y-k-o is psycho that's this kid logan stanton and that's how they find him right yeah yeah So thank you for the detail. I obviously, (laughs) well, I was trying to show off how quickly I can get through the red herring. And I think it, um, what, I don't know why that was my goal. (laughs) I'm confused. I thought you weren't going to get into it at all. You're like, I'm not really going to get into it. And then you did a full explanation (laughs) of everything that happened. I never know what to leave out of this fucking show. I love it all. (laughs) Leave it all on the floor. So, um, Rebecca Hendricks is here. What do we do? You say it. I can't even. (laughs) Okay. So then enter Rebecca Hendricks, who we've met in a previous episode and has some sexual tension with Elliot. Yeah. Mary Stuart Masterson, baby. And uh, so she background on her, if you don't know, is she is a therapist, but she used to be a cop. So she knows all the tricks and games and still has a detective spirit, but has to follow, you know, the HIPAA codes. And so, you know, she's always towing the line of ethics. But (laughs) wait, hold on. Remember that you say that. (laughs) (laughs) 
She's always, what is the saying? She's always like pushing the boundaries of ethics. She's always pushing the boundaries of ethics. So she and Cragen are behind the mirror while Logan's being interrogated, being like, hey, he's underage. Where are the parents? And Cragen's like, shut up, you dumb bitch. So... <laughs> They're having fun. They're having fun. Imagine if Gregan said that sometime. <laughs> Shut up, you dumb bitch. I would love it. Um, so Cragen leaves to go chat with Logan's parents who arrive, and that's Mr. and Mrs. Stanton. And Mr. Stanton is an SVU alum. He uh, has been in a previous episode, Privilege. And he's also an Sex in the City alum. He's the guy who had sex with Samantha who kept talking in baby talk. And she just said, can you stop? These are my breasts. Stop calling them titty witties. And he yeah, got yeah, really yeah. offended and left. So I Wait, only can I also him. say that the mom... I'm looking it up right now really quick. My computer is the slowest thing ever. But the mom is also a um, long time. Hillary Bailey Smith. She was, I believe, Nora Buchanan is her name on One Life to Live Forever. A huge part on that soap opera and a big part of my childhood. I bet that's a Neil Barragat. Yeah, he's probably like, and of course, we all know her from One Life to Live as Nora Buchanan. A hundred percent. And, you know, they're rich parents. They're like, this is a mistake. What's going on? And then the greatest thing ever happens. We meet Lindsay, who is Logan, Logan, Lindsay, Lindsay, Logan. This is a parent trap situation. <laughs> we have one person playing both parts, which is amazing. Uh, gender bendy. So uh, the actor is Riley McClendon, and this is the performance of the decade. Honestly, it's sad. he doesn't act anymore. It's really terrible. He was so good in this. Yeah, you know, he found the Lord, and he's working in the church. So he left theater behind, um, the theater arts. He's no longer a thespian. I mean, maybe he's putting up some Jesus plays around Christmas. We don't know, but <laughs> I wish. I mean. He, it's just like amazing. It's amazing wig work. It's amazing acting. And I just love seeing uh, him shine like this. So she's full on like, um, excuse me, my brother was home. I saw him. And Cragen's like, in the middle of the night? And she says, yeah, he falls asleep with the TV blaring all the time. And it woke me up. And it was 2.34 a.m. Because I remember thinking 2.34, right in order. And she's like, I went to turn off the TV and he called me a butt face. What? So, yeah, so she has the story down. So they're like, we can take him home, whatever. Cut to saliva matches perfectly. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so the saliva is a match for the saliva found on Lewis slash Luis's dick. Yes. The <laughs> He's bite been going marks. by a couple names. <laughs> <laughs> the bite marks match. As someone named Lisa, I should know to be respectful. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I, I don't. Well, people, people do pronounce, yeah, people pronounce much like your name. People pronounce it two different ways. Yeah, um, but I correct people and I have an attitude. So, <laughs> well, R.I.P. Louise, he's not going to be alive to correct people anymore. So, <laughs> and then Rebecca, I love this. She's so desperate to be a cop again. She's like, um, can I come with you, please? Like to Benson and Stabler, <laughs> just like, hold, like holding onto her collar, like begging them to go on the scene. And she's giving um some scoop on the psych stuff and like, hey, he might be scared to come out if it's like a gay situation. Also, like attacking your abuser comes with more consequences, all of this. And they're like, yeah, we're SVU detectives, Rebecca, back off. But <laughs> they allow her to come. So they're in a multi-million dollar home ready to ruin a family's evening. And this mo the mom is like, this is a nightmare. I don't understand. And 
the parents bring Logan down and go, why are you lying? Because they know that the DNA matches and they're smart enough to know DNA doesn't lie. And he's like, I'm not fucking lying. So then he goes, why is no one listening to me? And Rebecca says, I'll listen to you. And this is my favorite. Lindsay goes, who the hell are you? I love her vibe. And uh, Rebecca says, I'm a psychiatrist. And this makes Logan go insane. He screams. He says, I told you no more shrinks. He throws a vase that's perfectly placed right in the middle of the table. um, Just right for him to grab. He smashes it onto the ground. So Stabler grabs him. He's fighting. And Lindsay bangs him with a metal candlestick holder. Like this is the movie clue. So we know that the fight has escalated and we cut to the child psych room, you know, where they interrogate children. Benson and Lindsay are sitting there and Lindsay fractured Stabler's rib. LOL. Love that. (laughs) And then Benson fashion moment wearing a long sleeve shirt with a T-shirt on top of it, which is a trend I rode very, very hard in my youth. I loved (laughs) layering. Loved layering uh, shirts like that. And it's great. And I just fucking love this moment. She's having very 2000s. Lindsay says it wasn't her brother and it was her and she was alone. And Benson's like, it's impossible. The DNA is male. You're like, you have, you're, something is going on. And Lindsay says, no, listen, it's, you know, my brother has a group for tagging and graffiti, but they won't let girls in. So I thought if I can tag somewhere wild, they would have to let me in. And Benson says, but it's his signature. And she goes, no, he's psych. Oh, I'm psych. E. I just didn't have time to finish. I got to the K and she reveals what happened on the roof. And she says she felt a tug on her leg was pulled down. And this man was going to punch her in the face and then noticed she was a girl and said, I have something better for you he unzipped his pants and then she just bit down as hard as she could and he stumbled back and fell off the edge she is crying and she's saying it happened to her and you know rebecca Hendricks in a lab coat is uh giving a twin rundown where she says you know twins sometimes are so connected they imagine that things are happening to them she could have felt all of this in her bed because like i you know they have the dna so they think she's lying And she still could be. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Um, But Logan is saying in a different interrogation room, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. And they want to talk to each other. They really want to talk to each other. So they're debating if they should let the twins talk to each other. Our new best friend, Diane Neal, arrives. And she's on the scene wanting some scoop. And, you know, it's Casey Novak. She goes, hello, I'll intrude your investigation whenever I can. (laughs) Um, Hendrix and Novak go and talk in private and she breaks some doctor rules. So Rebecca's putting her neck on the line for this case because of her cop background. Um, She cares too much. And she's telling Novak that she looked at birth records from the hospital when the twins were born and that Casey should subpoena the records, but she can't give her the scoop because that would break her doctor laws. Uh, But Casey can't just like subpoena random shit, you know? So what Rebecca Hendricks decides to do is I'll tell you what's not in there. She goes, a ton of stuff is redacted. And the therapist that they are seeing is a sex therapist. Why are child twins going to a sex therapist? Right. They're 14. Like, why are they going to a sex therapist? Yeah. Yeah. And this really reminds me of one of my favorite movies of all time, but I'm a cheerleader. I don't know if this is in your wheelhouse, Kara. I've never seen that. We have to do a sleepover. Um, It's (laughs) RuPaul is in it as a boy. Okay. 
um, star-studded Natasha Leone, who's an SVU alum, Clea Duvall, SVU alum, and I'm sure more. Like it's okay. it's an amazing fucking movie. But done the, and done. Yeah, it's just like a gender sex therapy gay fun thing. It it did some things to me um, when I would rent it from Blockbuster week after week <laughs> after week. <laughs> it was a really important movie for me. But anyways, why are these teens with the sex therapist? So they do allow the twins to talk to each other. And immediately they go into a secret twin language. And Stabler uh, says that his twins had it. And Benson is like a regular old Karen. And she's like, English only, English only. <laughs> um, and they don't, they don't like that the twins are having their own fun time. And Hendrix is a super quick liar. Because the sixth therapist barges in and is like, I told you to stay off this. This is my case. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. The detective just wanted to see them. I'm just observing. I'm just chilling. And Casey's like, hello, what are you seeing them for? And of course, he can't tell her. Uh, duh, law, it's therapy. Um, I love that I could tell my therapist secrets. It's honestly one of my favorite things. I'm always like, well, I can't tell you this, but I can because you're my therapist. And <laughs> I love it. Um, I love uh, secret therapy rules. But it's a full on mess in there. Like one of the twins is on a table. Benson's holding like it's just pandemonium. It really is kind of like a Benny Hill movie, honestly. And so the the therapist is like, okay, they don't know what to do with children. This is enough. So now we're at my favorite kind of SVU trope. It's um, an expedition treasure hunt of witnesses and workers and characters. And I just I love this so much. Yeah, this is a parade of nannies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so first we get a housekeeper and she gives us the scoop that when they come home from therapy, they lock themselves in separate rooms and don't speak for days. Um, and she says, listen, they have a lot of nannies talk to them. So then one of the nannies says they're violent little urchins. They have knockdown drag downs which is that my new drag name okay um <laughs> knockdown drag out oh did i spell it wrong okay <laughs> um the fights are instigated by Lindsay. um mom always is bullying Lindsay, picking out her clothes hair makeup she has a lot of chronic urinary infections as a child she's always running around naked ripping her dresses off and she had a lot of scarring in her little area uh, that is not the way that's not my language. That's a nanny. <laughs> so they obviously tell the parents, like, why does your child have scarring on her little area? And he goes, she's had urinary reflux problems and needed surgery. And they say, why are you giving her weight? Oh, they're like, why are you giving her birth control pills? They're like, it's weight loss pills. They're like, why are they going to a sex therapist? It's just it's a mess. And then in the background, if you have an eye for art like I do, they do have have a cool like soft serve ice cream painting in the background which if you'd like to go pause and look at it i liked it um <laughs> so, so the parents are getting pissed that they're being like interrogated like this the detectives get no information these parents have an answer for everything that they're being accused of and so the housekeeper runs out and is like listen you're wrong about the kids the mom caught Lindsay making out with a girl and the mom is mad because there's like a lesbian situation so when the when the housekeeper says you're wrong about the kids it's because it's because the cops are kind of implying that these kids are having a sexual relationship with each other well wow, that's a really big thing that i missed wow i'm glad you're here kara no it's okay <laughs> no there's a lot there's so much in this episode so it's but it's basically just kind of like wait so what's going on why are they seeing sex if they're having sex with each other you have to tell us you know and everyone's like that's crazy and then the housekeeper kind of comes out to be like actually 
She's a lesbian. Yeah. So we get a lot of Dr. Rebecca Hendricks, which is exciting for us. And she says, listen, Lindsay was born July 14th, 1990, but Lindsay's birth certificate was reissued six months later. So this is a big clue, like what's going on here? And we need to get to the bottom of it. Well, Dr. Hendricks breaks the rules and pulls the mom's file from the hospital of where she gave birth. Yeah, and she sees that there was baby boy A and baby boy B. So two boy twins were born. They were identical twins. Lindsay was born male and the mom gave birth to two healthy boys. So they're like, what the fuck did these parents do? So now we finally, the parents have no more lies and they have to come clean. And what happened was the circumcision got fucked up. The device malfunctioned and burned him severely. And all the experts said that he would never be normal, not be a fully functional boy. And he couldn't get a prosthesis till junior high. And the parents were scared of the abuse he would take in the locker rooms. And they just wanted him to be normal. And they were like, what about the humiliation of telling the girl he fell in love with and yada, yada. But and then Benson says, but you thought putting your kid through a full on sex change operation as a baby was better for your child. And this just brings up, I don't know, like it's crazy how many choices parents make to protect them from other kids being shitty instead of people Mm. raising their kids to be less shitty. You know, or open minded. It is weird that you would do all that to be like, well, I don't want them getting made fun of. And it's like, that sucks. I don't know. It's just it's weird that that's such a big thing because your kid will get made fun of for everything. Well, yes. But I mean, but then they, they do get into the fact that they were persuaded by this therapist, Dr. Blair. Yeah. And says one of the most chilling things of all of SVU, um, he says it's easier digging a hole than building a pole. Which, you know, I guess. I don't know. I've never done either. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But it seems intense. And the sex therapist, Dr. What? Bias? Bale? Blair. Blair. We have a friend named Blair. Not bragging. Um, (laughs) But she... So she had to go through urinary surgery, remove testes, and a panectomy. And then Benson says, so you slap a bow on her and call her a girl? And then they go, no, you know, at at puberty, we give hormones. So she gets hips and girl features, and they have to treat her like a girl, and she will be a girl. And they're like, it didn't work, you fucking idiot. She is miserable. And then the sex therapist, Dr. Blair, says, what 14-year-old girl isn't? I hate this guy. I think you're supposed to hate him. If you're on the side of this guy. You're supposed to hate him. So um, Stabler, way woke than I've ever seen Stabler, says you can't change someone's sexual identity. Where did this guy come from? This is like the woke Charlotte meme from Sex and the City. Like, I'm very shocked by Stabler saying this. Um, But the therapist believes children are born sexually neutral and a blank slate and gender identity is determined by nurture, not nature. So this was kind of like this therapist's wet dream. He loves, like, he was selfish about this. He wasn't about like the kids' lives and how good they were. Like to him, this was the greatest experiment that came into his lap. But this brings suspicions to the therapist because he says, wait, only a few people know about this. How the hell did you find out? Secrets, please don't tell him. So uh, the therapist is like, don't tell her. And Stabler says, if you don't think this is going to come out in a criminal investigation, you're a fucking idiot. And he goes, well, at least let me be there. So we cut to the child interrogation room. Novak, Dr. Blair are there and they are with Lindsay and they're just gathering her statement and she's about to sign the statement. But she's not an idiot. So she says, 
wait, but you said it could only be Logan. Like what's going on? Like something doesn't add up. What did you mean that my brother had to do it? She goes, stop it. Tell me what's going on. I feel like I'm going crazy. And Rebecca barges in and is like, I need to talk to you, Dr. Blair. And Dr. Blair says, shut your mouth. And um, Lindsay goes, in the verge of tears, says, you know something, please tell me, tell me. The acting is incredible. And she tells the sex doc, you have to tell her, like, you know, and he says, I'm going to report you to the review board of medicine. It's a very intense uh, moment. So Rebecca says you were born a boy. Lindsay doesn't understand. And she explains there was an accident when you were born. And Lindsay knew it. She's like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I never once felt right. I always felt like a freak. Why didn't anybody tell me? Why didn't anyone tell me? And I'm on her side. And her name was Lucas. The sex therapist who's selfish as hell the whole time is like, you're a normal girl, whatever. Stop being mad. Just be you. Um, just be Frankenstein for me. And he tells Rebecca Hendricks, you're finished and storms off. The end of the episode, uh, Dr. Hendricks is packing up her office. She's no longer welcome to work at the hospital, but it'll give her time to get ready for the hearing. Benson and Stabler are obviously like, sorry, girl, but you did the right thing. And Hendricks goes for a cop. So I have nothing to comment. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Lindsay now has stopped taking meds. Now is a boy will be known as Lucas and Dr. Hendricks genders him properly. So ahead of her time, uh, Logan is in Cragen's office and wants to file charges against Dr. Blair, the sex therapist and reveals that the sex therapist was molesting the twins. And it's been going on for years, showing them photos of adults having sex and put the twins into sexual positions and uh, made the twins pretend that they were having sex to each other. So, um, the sex doctor is like, Hey, it was treatment. She needs to learn her sexual roles, but why did the other twin have to be there? And also it takes away his theory of nature versus nurture. You know what I mean? Like if you have to train her to do this, then it's not all nurture. So you're wrong. Like, I don't know how you're letting this happen. Uh, and then his whole thing is like, but there was no penetration. And it's like, I still think making children dry hump is rape. I don't know. I don't know if <laughs> penetration uh, fully matters in assaults like this. And then there's like a nice comedy moment, which I like where Dr. Blair says it wasn't porn. It was art books. And Stabler says there was a lot of dicks. OK, it made me uncomfortable. And Dr. Blair says that's because you're a bourgeois American, completely uptight about sex, which screws up your children and turns them into sex offenders. And Stabler, like amazing comedy note moment. Uh, he looks dumb as hell and just goes, you lost me at bourgeois. And I I just love when Maloney gets to, you know, work his chops out. Um, And then we have a moment that comes out of nowhere where Sister Peg is at the precinct and picks up. I think this is just like maybe a learning moment for the audience, um, but picks up a check from the crime victims board for six thousand dollars to give Katie a proper burial. And um, through doing this podcast, I learned about organizations like this, that like the government does help victims of violent crimes in many different ways. So Dr. Blair was left in jail for three days because Casey's uh, friend, who's a file clerk, 
accidentally in quotes misplaced the paperwork and so he got like stuck in jail which they love that's like funny haha when it's like a white disgusting sex therapist but not as funny when like people are kept in jail for like three years for doing absolutely nothing because of random bureaucracy <laughs> yes um but dr blair should have stayed in jail because now he's murdered uh, <laughs> someone bashed his brains in and left the murder weapon and then the killer spit on him so there will be dna thank you obviously it's the twins okay if you're you know rebecca Hendricks isn't doing this but the twins, they're very smart, very smart twins. They went to the movies together for a double feature. One of them did leave, but they were wearing matching parkas. So no one knows which one left. And um, the thing is, they can't prove it because it's identical twins, identical twin DNA. Luke stopped taking the estrogen. So it's out of his system and they can't do separate trials because if they charge both of them, it takes away beyond a reasonable doubt and it gives grounds for a dismissal of each of their court cases. And neither of them are going to flip on each other. They have secret languages and everything. They love each other. And the end is probably one of the, in a good way, haunting one of the funnest haunted episodes. Um, but they're like in separate interrogation rooms, but they're like touching the walls. How do you describe like touching the walls in their hands on opposite walls? Walls. A lot of wall touching. There's just a wall between them, but they have yes. their ears up and it's like mirror imaging. And like, you know, the cops are like, they came up with the perfect crime. Like these kids are smart. Like they literally know, they must know about double jeopardy. They know about identical DNA. They know how long it takes estrogen to work its way out of DNA. Like they're really smart. Who do you think killed the therapist? Which one? That's such a good question, Kara. I'm so stupid. I didn't even think about it. Um, I feel like it's Lucas. Like Lucas had more. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Lucas had his life fucking demolished because of this dude. But then also it could be. Um, but it completely also traumatized Logan. So they both had mo they both had, you know, well, because Logan could have been like, I will do this for you. I love you so yes. much. And like, I will fucking take the bullet for you and murder this motherfucker. But I agree with you that I do think it's Lucas because of. The full trauma. Maybe we'll put a little um, we'll put a little Instagram poll. That's exactly what we're going to do. And we'll see what the listeners think. Yeah. The more gelled up hair is Lucas. And once you get on the Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's take a quick break. And then I'll be back to tell you all about the fucked up stuff that happened in real life. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you 
you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. All right. So this episode is based on the story of David Reimer, who was born Bruce Peter Reimer in 1965 as the elder of two identical twin boys. His brother was named Brian. Uh, They were Canadian, born in Winnipeg, and their parents were Mennonites. So um, I don't know what the Mennonite policy is on circumcision, but the twins were not circumcised at birth. And it was later when they were around six months old, they were having some trouble with urination and they were diagnosed with phimosis. Now, I have read about phimosis before because I believe it's Louis the 16th, whichever Louis was married to Marie Antoinette, is rumored to have had phimosis, which is basically when your foreskin won't retract. So the best way I can describe it is like you're putting your head through a tight turtleneck and like you just can't get that turtleneck over your head. You know what I mean? Like your foreskin just like won't come down over the head of your penis. I think we'll use that video and post that on social media. (laughs) That act Um, out as necessary. (laughs) I was acting out putting on a turtleneck for everybody. Um, It's like when the neck hole is too tight and you just can't get your head through. Move move it along. I'm done with that visual. So (laughs) they decided at seven months to circumcise these twins. And the regular doctor like wasn't there. So it was like a different doctor who decided to use, instead of like a traditional snip snip, this doctor decided to use an uncommon method called electrocauterization, which is like using, destroying tissue with like a little heat conducting probe that is heated by electric current. And the machine malfunctioned. And some articles say that this procedure completely burned off his penis some say like that it was just burned beyond repair, but safe to say it was uh, a catastrophic malfunction of this of this machinery. Why would you choose to do an experiment on a baby dick? Like, I don't understand. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe. Yeah. And um, I hope that they got some money or something for, out of that, at least. I mean, it's like so traumatizing. They decided since since um, Bruce went first, they decided not to do Brian. Brian went on to just his phimosis cleared itself up on its own. So that's even harder to hear that it would have just kind of worked itself out. So now they have this little seven month old baby with a severely injured penis um, and they bring him to Johns Hopkins in Baltimore in 1967. So he's like one and a half years old at this point. Um, And that is where they meet John Money, who is a New Zealand psychologist. This is absolutely who Dr. Blair is based off of. This man is a extremely well-known psychologist, sexologist, and author who is known for his research into sexual identity and the biology of gender. And what people say about him was that he thought he was thought to be brilliant and arrogant, which is like, duh, he was like a Harvard graduate, of course. So Money is one of the first researchers to publish theories on the influence of the societal constructs of gender. Um, He introduced the terms gender identity used to describe a person's innate sense of maleness or femaleness. He introduced the term gender role and sexual orientation and also popularized the term paraphilia, which is basically 
any sexual interest that's not just like heteronormative, like boobs are hot, penises are hot. I like regular sex, like being into foot stuff, being into bondage, any of that falls under the paraphilia umbrella. Now, what's interesting is this guy we're going to find out is very evil, but he also... But he discovered so much. I mean, I can't he believe He discovered this a lot, guy. and he also... He also was, when it came to trans patients, he was very like, whatever they say is what they say. He was like, if they feel that they are male, they are male, and they should be afforded the medical procedures to allow them to have whichever physical manifestation of that that they would like. So he was like progressive in some ways, but in other ways, he had this theory of gender neutrality, which they talk about in the episode, that gender identity develops primarily as a result of social learning from early childhood, but that it could be changed at any point with appropriate, not at any point, at an early point with appropriate behavioral intervention. So he was all in on this nurture opposed to nature thing. I just feel like I said this during the episode thing, but it's like um, he's contradicting himself. Yeah, I think in some ways he is. Yeah, constantly where it's like, if someone says they're this, they're this, and that's the way it is, and you're born in the sexual identity, but also you can change it fully by nurture. Like, I just, I don't get it. And his last name is Money. I don't know how anyone trusted him ever. (laughs) Dr. Money does sound like a rapper. So Dr. Money believed that a penis could not be replaced, but that a functional vagina could be constructed surgically. And that's where we get this. It's easier to dig a hole than a pole phrase like that phrase is used in a lot of intersex surgeries and and studies about intersex surgeries like up through the 70s because of kind of this guy's work. So um, he claimed that Reimer would be much more likely to achieve a successful functional match sexual maturation as a girl than as a boy. And like, isn't it convenient that this theory he has these two identical twin boys where there's a perfect control being Brian and there's a perfect one to experiment on being Bruce just fall into his lap when they come to Johns Hopkins. So these boys are like the key to proving his theories correct. So. Money really convinced Bruce's parents to turn him into a female via sex reassignment surgery. So at the age of 22 months, which is like my daughter's basic exact age right now, Bruce became Brenda. Um, It started with a bilateral orchidectomy in which his testes were removed surgically and a rudimentary um, vulva was fashioned. And then they just gave this child these surgeries. And then he just continued to see Brenda annually for consultations. Okay. So I sort of knew this was all the real part of the, uh, from the episode. I had no idea this next part was real. Much like in identity money did force these twins to rehearse sexual acts involving thrusting movements with Brenda playing the bottom role. And like, Reimer said that as a child, he had to get down on all fours and his brother would get behind him with his crotch up against him and that um, money forced him into like sexual positions with his legs spread and Brian on top of him. It's just really, really crazy. They were forced to take their clothes off and engage in genital inspections. Uh, And on at least one occasion, they said he took photographs of it, of these of these children doing these activities. And his rationale was that is same as the doctor in the in the episode that this was childhood sexual rehearsal play and was important for the healthy adult gender identity. What I don't understand is like even if you're going to give Brenda try to do this sort of reprogramming on this child, can you not 
show sexual photos or whatever like why does it have to be their brother is involved in it like that's what's so that has to be so confusing and traumatic for everyone involved and i'm sure it was for them um bruce slash brenda was given estrogen during adolescence that started breast development um and money would like report on the progress of the twins like releasing reports and sort of um publishing pieces calling it the john slash joan case so if you google parts of this there's like the john slash joan case is how it's referred to um because their identity was not known for a really long time and money actually wrote stuff like the child's behavior is so clearly that of an active little girl and so different from the boyish ways of her twin brother but that's like what money was writing because it satisfied his narrative of his study the notes um from some of his students who were like his lab students said that um, the follow-up visits were only once a year. Reimer's parents routinely lied to the staff about the success of the procedure. And then later, his twin brother, Brian, developed schizophrenia. Why did the parents lie? I, I don't know. I don't know if it's like they just were like, got to keep this up, got to keep this up. You know, like we have to keep this is the only way we can't go back now, I think was their thought a lot. And I get into that a little bit later when they do appear on Oprah. So um, Brenda... And I don't I don't even want to use a female pronoun here because um, Brenda does eventually take back her masculine identity and goes by David. So Brenda is, it's said, behaved in a strictly masculine fashion, would rip off dresses that his mother would sew for him. Um, when he saw his father shaving, he wanted a razor, too. He liked toy guns, trucks, and he didn't like sewing machines and Barbies. And when he fought with his brother, it was clear that she was stronger which is kind of a little bit why I think Lucas was the killer. He liked running and fighting and climbing and he hated playing with dolls and he had no friends and was very lonely because his twin was sort of embarrassed of him. Um, like, as I guess a lot of people are embarrassed of their sisters, but people called him cave woman and stuff. So it's really like this traumatic, traumatic childhood that he's having. So I'm, that's hardly a success. I don't know why this doctor is writing, oh, wow, she's just having a amazing life because... The kid is not. Reimer also hated going to visit Dr. Money and by 13 was experiencing suicidal ideation and told his parents that he would take his own life if they made him see Dr. Money again. And at 14, his parents broke down and told him about his past. So same as same age as in this episode of SVU. Um, and instead of being angry, David was relieved. He said, for the first time, everything made sense and I understood who and what I was. And that's from, a, that's a, from an archives of pediatric and adolescent medicine report that they did on them. He, he decided to assume a male gender identity, calling himself David. He underwent treatment to reverse the reassignment, including testosterone injections, double mastectomy, and a phalloplasty. The grueling surgeries spun him into some periods of depression and twice caused him to attempt suicide. And he spent a lot of months living alone in a cabin in the woods. And then I read that at 22, he prayed to God for the first time in his life, begging for the chance to be a husband and a father. And um, this is like just an interesting physical thing about it. It was reported that the phallic reconstruction was only partially successful, but that David could have sexual intercourse and experience orgasm. So that's I think that's pretty successful um, in terms of the things that penises are for. 
so he eventually, so he got a job. He was working in a slaughterhouse and he was sort of really happily adjusted to his life as a man. So people are saying, and then in 1990, he married a woman named Joan Fontaine and adopted her three children. So in the early nineties, early to mid nineties, things are going pretty good for David. You know, he's taking back control of his life. And then his case comes to international attention when um, an academic sexologist named Milton Diamond persuaded him to tell his story. Diamond? Who are these maniacs? I know, money, diamond. It's like... <laughs> and then Steve Annuity met him. And uh, no. So then uh, Milton Diamond... I don't even know what annuity means. It's money. Uh, I don't know. I don't even e- either, really. So Milton Diamond is an academic sexologist who persuaded Reimer to allow him to tell his story to dissuade other physicians from doing this kind of treatment. Like this did not work. This is a failed experiment. Let's get the word out, you know, because at this point it's the Jones slash John case. It's completely anonymous. No one knows that this is like a real story or no one knows who the real, the the story behind the real people. So he uh, went public with his story. And then an author named John Colapinto published a widely disseminated and influential account of his whole story in Rolling Stone magazine in December of 1997, this article won awards and I cannot find it fucking anywhere. It's just not on the internet. I don't know what, I don't know why it's not archived. It's like Rolling Stone, what's going on? Anyway, he later, Colapinto wrote a whole book about David, a New York Times bestselling biography called As Nature Made Him, The Boy Who Was Raised as a Girl that came out in 2000, in which Colapinto described basically how everything in Money's reports is wrong. How like when he was living as Brenda, Reimer did not identify as a girl. He was ostracized and bullied by peers. He, no dresses or hormones ever made him feel like a girl. And uh, that was this this big book that came out. And he did get a lot of profits from the book. David did make profits from the book. So I liked hearing about that. So for 30 years after Money's initial report, this became like the common uh, thought in, in this field that um, gender is malleable and like, that you can, if you get, if you get it done within a certain window, like sometimes they tried to say afterwards that the reason it didn't work was because they waited till 22 months. Like if they had done it within the first year or maybe within the first 18 months or something like that, it would have worked better. I mean, I disagree, but uh, yeah. How are, how is four months gonna fully change everything? Well, I mean, maybe not 18 months, but like maybe if you do it within a year before they even start realizing a lot of things about boy versus girl, you know, like so, yeah, his his view was that sex reassignment was the correct decision. And, and and it resulted in thousands of sexual reassignments for intersex people and and probably people that had accidents where their penises were damaged. Um, and uh, money's experiments actually proved the opposite. Exactly what you said, like it proved the persistence of one's inborn sense of gender, um, which does back up like today's more prevalent thinking that. Trans people have an innate inborn sense of gender, whether it matches what their genitalia is or not, like that doesn't matter and you cannot change it. So the the book about Reimer actually did influence several medical practices and reputations and and it made the um, it actually accelerated the decline of sex reassignment and surgery for unambiguous XY infants with micropenis or other congenital um, malformations or penile loss in infancy. So h- him telling his story did help this become less prevalent. And that's great. You know, his book also described these like psychotic childhood therapy sessions and heavily implied that money ignored 
or concealed all the evidence that Reimer's reassignment to female was not going well. Money stopped publicly commenting on the case in 1980 and never acknowledged that the experiment was anything but a glowing success. And then this uh, article that I read was talking about money was like, he may have failed patients by encouraging them to conform to a binary of understanding of sex that he himself didn't entirely believe. Like they were saying he, he wasn't even sure that his idea was valid. Cause like at the time he played a significant role in helping transgender people in the early days of medical intervention, find support to live in their affirmed gender. His position on trans people was that if you were a biological male and you believed yourself to be female, that that was, that was done and done. It was such an important idea to you as a person that it could not be contradicted. So it's very, this man is very confusing because he has these progressive views and it's and, ego. It's all ego. It's like, yeah, because I mean, I went to college a long time ago. I was a sociology major and like so much of experiments and ethics and all that and having like a hypothesis is like you take the evidence as it is. You can't manipulate information right. to fit your hypothesis. It's like totally unethical. I'm really shocked that no medical boards or the psych like whatever psychology overhead people didn't go after him and he is molesting children. Right. Well, that's, that's so nuts too. Yeah. I just, I, I feel like he put these kids through more damage than could have ever happened to them. If he just left them alone. No, absolutely. I don't know if there's like, I mean, child endangerment or like trauma, like he definitely subjected these children to trauma for sure you're making siblings touch each other naked and take photos of them like how is that not child pornography i know so basically what this article about dr money said was that like he believed that people had the right to their own gender identity and that they were had the right to the medical means to be whoever you want to be so it's just it's very confusing i really want to hate this man and then he has all he has ideas that are good as well but i think ultimately he's bad you can't treat children like little like they're having a little sex play every week in therapy that's really disgusting and did you watch the documentary three identical strangers yes yeah did you watch it on a flight that's no i I saw it in the theater lisa (laughs) i saw it in the theater you know when i saw it i got movie pass and was like i'm seeing everything and i went to go see that movie first and then movie pass folded a month later but that reminds me of that where it's like you can't just take children and decide to do experiments on them hello dr mangala like are you guys fucking nazis you don't get to fuck with people people have equated him in some articles to dr mangala okay good i'm glad i'm not the only one yeah i'm glad i said his name right i was kind of iffy if no you did you nailed it it. you nailed it um no and and it's really you know they i i watched the okay so this story has a very sad ending because in in 2002 brian reimer david's twin brother overdosed of antidepressants which many people think was a was a suicide uh and it's 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 believed to be i guess not totally proven and then in 2004 in the wake of his brother's death his wife asking him for a separation and him getting scammed in an investment scam by some sketchball named Gary Perch. David Reimer took his own life as well in 2004. So (sighs) both of these boys died within two years of one another. But like, despite all the hardships and everything he went through, David never blamed his parents. Like he told the Colapinto, the guy who wrote the book about him, he said, Mom and dad wanted this to work so that I would be happy. That's every parent's dream for their child. And I couldn't be happy for my parents. I had to be happy for me. You can't be something that you're not. You have to be you. 
And I watched, um, I'm like getting teary though. It's like, it's just so sad because the parents really were trying to do the best thing for him. And, and they got swindled. They let, and they by got swindled. They let the, and like, so I watched this Oprah clip with David Reimer, and he's just talking about his story and talking about and the mom, and Oprah's like saying to the mom, So, so you were just you just bought into what this doctor said. She said, Yeah. And then once we listened to the doctor, we couldn't turn we couldn't go back, you know, like there was no turning back from that. So it was just really it was really sad to watch. You can watch this clip on YouTube of of um, David with his mom on Oprah and just sort of like talking about how truly it was all done in the name of living a normal life. So it's like when you were talking about like, oh, they the parents do all this stuff just like so their kids don't get bullied. It was like, yeah, it was bullying. It was like having a normal sex function, having a wife and a family and like, you know, which is all obviously very heteronormative goals anyway. Like who knows he could have been gay. Um, but like everything that was done was done with the idea that what is going to make him have the most happy and smooth life. And it, it really, it did not work out that way. Yeah, no, I definitely don't blame the parents for wanting the best, but sometimes you just got to, see what happens and not force something no for sure but i think also like you're a mennonite couple from winnipeg canada and a harvard educated new zealand renowned sexologist is like this is the solution i don't know i could see myself being like okay what are we gonna do yeah i've been to winnipeg i also think it's important to note this is the late 1960s there's no internet Uh, this is such a different time this isn't today so who knew what they were talking about back then? You exactly. trust the doctor. You go to the doctor. Yeah. I'm just disgusted by so many things that he broke. Like, tr- I, I'm, he's, I just, that's so fucked up. I know. And he died in 2006, I believe. And he just never had to really answer for any of this. Like, he just, I think everything, he hid everything behind the name of science and then never had to, you know. It's like, it's like when that doctor in the episode is like, I'm going to call the medical review board on you. It's like, how dare you? I'm going to call the medical review board on you. Like you're doing this insane shit. But like, I guess when you're like in the medical field, you can, you can excuse a lot as like, no, this is research. No, this is part of the process. Like, and you know, maybe you convince judges that it's not criminal. I don't know. And in three identical strangers, one of the triplets ends up committing suicide as well yes like you can't fuck with people's beings and lives and siblings like that for in the name of science like what the fuck it's really upsetting that's a great um call lisa you guys everyone should watch three identical strangers it's a wild documentary i gave a little bit away but it's still just the story is pretty fucked up the story is very compelling it just goes against what therapists or doctors or science is supposed to do it's like your selfish need to be some famous person is and it's kind of like with freud where it's like i can't believe how much of his stuff we use today Mm. like this guy came up with gender idea all of these things and it's like it's just shocking how one fucking fool from New Zealand is created so much of our language and point of view who did this. But I don't know. It is very layered. And there was like some research that was saying that like feminists, like radical feminists were really pro money. 
his his ideas because they were like this just proves that women are nurtured into being quote unquote the weaker sex or like you know we're just as strong as men biologically we're just as good and it like we get changed from society or whatever and i was like i don't know i don't know that feminism today would be well that's the whole thing with science right you're supposed to not have these like your like your opinions should not impede the science like science is supposed to be objective you should not have i don't know if it's different for psychologists but that's the fucking point is yeah you go into it with a blank slate and you take the evidence and that's what happens you don't manipulate shit to prove your own theory that's an egomaniac let's fucking dig up his body all right that's what (laughs) i want i want a fucking trial all right well lisa and i are gonna go grab some shovels (laughs) and we'll be right back with our special guest okay now it is time for our guest interview i am beyond excited to have this next tony nominated actress on our podcast you guys have seen her in fried green tomatoes benny and june some kind of wonderful she is amazing She has her own sustainable production facility in the Hudson Valley in New York, which is very impressive, called Upriver Studios. And she has a multiple episode arc on SVU. And you all know her as Dr. Rebecca Hendricks. Please check out our interview with Mary Stewart Masterson. You did reveal before we started, you have a donkey. And I didn't think I'd be jealous, (laughs) but I am. (laughs) Yeah, it's a mini donkey. Um, So she's just like a giant dog. Um, Oh my God, a mini donkey? Yeah, and two bunnies and and a dog, yes. A new five-month-old dog that's as big as my 11-year-old. He's going to be massive. That's insane. Have you seen the viral videos of dogs riding donkeys in the <laughs> no. night? Okay. No, I can't believe I've missed that. You might right have my a bright alley. future in TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> we are so excited to talk to you. Like, I'm just like a huge fan from all of your movies that you've been in. But then obviously your iconic um, five episode arc on SVU is what we're here to talk to you about. Um, I feel like, I don't know, your character just seemed like such a big deal. I th- I truly was like, it's only five episodes. I thought you were in like 15 episodes because every time they bring you back, like that last time they brought you back, it was like a reveal that you were there, you know? Yeah, that that very that very special episode where I'm such a good shrink that I cured <laughs> I cured Stabler in like 15 minutes without a commercial break. I mean, <laughs> I was like, thanks. I have should wear a cape. And if only yeah. if only therapy were were that effective that fast, that'd be great. <laughs> well, I also loved your line at the end. It was so dramatic where he's like, should we Captain Cragen asks, like, should we separate them? And you're like, only if you want to lose the two best detectives you've ever had. <laughs> oh my God. I'll be honest, I don't remember anything. <laughs> yeah. So long ago, guys. It's really like another lifetime. I know. And everybody has lives, but we obviously remember everything and everyone. Well, we wanted to share that you we've been in a few episodes, but your the one episode identity um, with the twins is our number one viewer requested episode to cover. Really? Out of 480 plus episodes. No, we, we get, get like a message a day. That's like you have to do the one with the twins. Like, so everybody is obsessed with this episode. That's amazing. 
it's certainly topical. I mean, now. Yes. Now I feel like it's really, really um, an interesting, it's, it's interesting to go back to and just see the way the show is talking about like gender identity and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, but I mean, cause you must've had no idea back then that, that, that like this episode of television was going to resonate with so many people into going on 10 or 15 years later. I forget when, what year is this episode? I know. God, what was it? 2004, five? Something like that. Yeah. 15 years. Yeah. No, I, I certainly did not think of that um, at all. And in fact, I just, I just always loved Mariska as a person. And um, ironically, she's, she's so incredible at this, this brand of drama, but she's one of the funnier people I've ever met. And That's what people um, say <laughs> she's hilarious. She's so funny. She's so sharp and, and such a, a lovely human. So I was like, yeah, let's do this thing. And, um, also for all actors at the time I was, I was mostly in the theater in the city. I was, I was doing a Broadway musical right before that. And so was, it's the actor's annuity to be in a law and order show, you know? like the best. Um, so, but yeah, no, I didn't, I, ne- I never thought that it would be <laughs> a 15 year legacy on, on an episode of, of TV. When they reached out to you about this character, did they know that it was going to be sort of like a, like a, you'd come back a few more times or did you think it was a one-off? I think they, that it was going to be a recurring part, but, but only a few episodes. I think it was in, initially, I think it was three and, um, and then it just, you know, there were a couple more, I think, but, um, yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't going to be a long-term thing, but, um, but it was fun being there, you know? And who's to say it was your last episode. I mean, my God, it's still going. Stabler's <laughs> coming back. So they might need you to come back and sort of review how they're doing now. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. My family watches the voice together because it is so much fun. And they were running the promos for that. Uh, you know, what is it? Um, uh, organized, organized, crime. organized crime. Right. And my voice is on that promo. No. And my husband said, wait, that's you. That's your voice. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what do you mean? And he says, you know, do you think you and Stablers are make good partners? I, I think oh, is the line. Yes. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. That is me. And then you're like, I got to get SAG after all on the phone because hello, <laughs> hello you're in that promo. <laughs> And your husband is on SVU. Yes. Was on SVU. Bad been, guy. Oh, such a bad guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're always like Perp or Vic, you know? <laughs> um, he's been both, but mostly I've been, you know, the doctor. So. Yeah. I wonder, do you think there's any chances that she'll come back? No one has reached out. So I, <laughs> I would not say, I would say the chances are zero. I wouldn't say that though, because you know, somebody in casting has reached out and told us that they listen to this podcast. So, oh, so it, and it's not zero. If they come knocking. Yeah. I would say I would put it at a strong 3%. That's very strong. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bring my donkey. It'd be great. Oh my God. Sometimes they go up into the Hudson River Valley for the show. They they'll do. Go, they'll go see like a, a Jewish sect a community or like, a, you know, they'll so, sort of venture upstate sometimes. Why not? So how, what was it like working with Christopher Maloney? Because, I mean, we were talking about how Stabler like famously hates shrinks. I mean, they're like there's all these like moments in the show where they're like, you really need to talk to someone. And he's like, I don't need any of that garbage. And then like your character comes on and suddenly he's like, you know, the psychiatric profession is very admirable. <laughs> like suddenly he loves like shrinks. And there's definitely some tension between you two. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, one of the mo the more amazing um, things about Dr. Uh, Rebecca Hendricks was not just that she and Olivia met at the academy and that she completed that um, as you know part of her life, but she also went to medical school and also a psychiatric residency and was also <laughs> the head of Bellevue. By the time I was at the time in my thirties, I was like, yeah. wow, <laughs> and, she, and and in private practice. You know, so I was like, I'm extremely successful yes. person. You're a very, an overachiever. Yeah, no, I, I think probably it's, you know, the knowledge, the deep knowledge of law enforcement in the Dr. Hendricks background might have made them <laughs> a little more willing to trust that I understood the job. But um, yeah, no, Chris is great. Chris is, is a wonderful actor, um, very, very supportive to guests, you know, always. And that's, it's a terrible thing usually to be a guest. Cause you, you know, you come in and the, the, the train is moving and you jump on and sometimes people are just too tired to really give a crap and be kind and, and thoughtful of guests, you know, and they were there. Everybody was just really great and really nice. And no, no matter who you are, where you come from, it's very disconcerting um, to come onto a show as a guest, especially if you're going to recur and supposed to have an actual character of, it, you know, right. instead of just sort of come in and, and, and exit with the plot. Um, so he was really good. He was really, um, really, really good. Yeah, he I mean, being able to be like in a flirty situation with Elliot Stabler is pretty much like the lifetime goal of all of our listeners. So you've accomplished it and very horny listeners. Yeah, they're, oh, very, really? they're all very horny for Stabler for sure. And really? I mean, a few other characters as well. But yeah, but you, you and Olivia had such a like tension too, like where it was like you knew each other from the Academy, but like she was mad at you for leaving for leaving like the profession and we're frenemies and yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it can be it can be strange to have someone get attention from Stabler, I suppose. <laughs> you know, I don't know. There's a whole universe where people, you know, create these relationships between these characters that don't exist. We're not super into that, but he has a wife the entire time, but in your specific episodes, his wife and him have separated. So right. he's kind of flirting with you and she's like, I get you're on the rebound, but why don't you leave it at home? Like she's mad at him for flirting with you. It's also good if you're a therapist, you know, to welcome the transference, whatever gets your your patient to <laughs> open up and trust you. So that was, that was, that was all intentional. I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. Did you do, did you like when you're about to play like a five episode or a few episode arc on a show as a psychiatrist, like, do you speak to a psychiatrist? Do you do any research beforehand? Oh yes. Or? I would, I would consider the seven years of therapy, good research. <laughs> <laughs> oh, same. I'm ready for my role as a psychiatrist yeah. then as well. And, and all the psychiatrists to follow, you know? <laughs> yeah. Can I ask a really random question? Where does the mini donkey sleep? Does it go in the house or does it have like a little barn or what? <laughs> yes, she has she has a run-in shed and she has her own quarter of an acre really with the with <laughs> fence around it. She's got a really good situation and we, you know, clean up after her, bring her her food and she doesn't really go anywhere. Wow, she's, like, she's having a great quarantine. Yeah, she's good. She's totally good. No <laughs> difference to her. She's like, it's exactly the same as it was. I see them more, which is good. 
Um, just to ask you a couple more SVU questions. We like to ask this one, but especially I think this is a good question for you. If you needed a detective, oh. would you call Benson or Stabler? Hmm. That's a good one, Kara. Someone is missing. Someone is something has gone amok. Who do you call Benson or Stabler? I mean, I think, I think Benson. <laughs> Because it just, you know, but, you know, they really are so good together. So true. It's an impossible question. It's very hard because they, you know, the yin and yang of it all. They're very good together. The, the emotional connection and the <laughs> cerebral uh, detachment. Um, <laughs> the logician versus the magician. No, I, I, it's hard to pick. I guess <laughs> Olivia, though, you know, because I yeah. like hanging out with her. No offense yeah. to Steven. <laughs> I know we're, we're not positive Rebecca Hendricks is ever going to come back, but what about you? It's now been like a decade since Rebecca Hendricks has been on and they bring people back all the time as different roles. If you could go back to SVU, would you want to play something different? Would you want to be a cop? Would you want to be a bad mom or like what kind of what do you have any kind of? No, I would. You know what? I, I would I would enjoy being on a show where I'm you know, a stablery kind of a part, like a detective or, um, and also like all these, all these, um, hospital shows, I'm like weirdly into medical things. Like I just can uh. remember the, the anatomical names for the, you know, like I just like, I'm, I was always like, Oh, I would love to have my, my script in the body of the, of the fake dead body of the fake <laughs> patient on the table, like everybody else and just like rattle off all this jargon that it would be so fun to be on like Grey's Anatomy or something. Wait, I didn't know people hide scripts in their fake dead bodies. That's a scoop. I feel. Oh, oh absolutely. <laughs> How could you possibly learn all of that? I mean, they have a gurney and they just tape the dialogue to a thing sometimes. Cause they're like, wow. Well, they, or the medical consultants or whatever will say, sorry, that's not yeah. the right lingo and didn't get the script in time. And they'll switch it out to a, cardiothoracic bloody blah. And they're like, I thought I was working on the GI tract. Oh, well, wrong dialogue. And they'll just have to know it somehow. And that's how they do it. So no, some people do that. Some people don't. Some people tape the script to their scene partner's chest so that they can sort of look them in the eye. I've seen everything. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. They don't have teleprompters. And it's just like, you shouldn't be looking like you're trying to remember your lines. Right better that you're playing the intention of the scene. If you don't know the lines, it's better that you get the help you need. <laughs> and just read them off your partner's chest. Don't be a hero, man. Just, <laughs> just don't make your eyes go like this. <laughs> left to right. Left to right. <laughs> That's a dead giveaway. Um, I, that was just truly thrilling for me. I know that I think Lisa, maybe you missed some of her movies in your life, but like, she was such an idol to me growing up. She was like such a cool girl actress. And I'm like, so, so excited. We got to talk to her. Yeah. And I am kind of very super into her life. I like her hot SVU alum husband, her mini donk donk. Yeah. <laughs> I love her farm life and just li living it up during the pandemic. And that's a weird thing to say, um, but <laughs> I was just very into her spirit, I would say, and her highlights. I, you guys yeah. didn't get to see her, but she looks amazing. No, and she looks so young. Like, she literally looks the same as she did. And, like, I, you're like, I kind of get why Stabler was fishing around during his separation. Um, 
But let's get into our postmortem. What did we learn from today? I mean, first of all, I, we learned that this episode was so close. Well, I remember when people started requesting it, I was like, I got to check and make sure it's based on a crime. And then I was like, okay, it is, it's based on, it is based on a thing happening to this, to this boy. And I just had no idea that basically the whole episode minus Luis getting thrown off the roof is identical to what happened. Yeah, I'm shocked. Except for them killing the therapist. They never killed Dr. Money. He died on his own. I thought it was totally going to be an episode of ours where we talk about theories or different hodgepodges of cases. I did not anticipate just this like monster of a therapist ruining the lives of these boys and parents and taking advantage of people in distress um, like they did. But yeah, circumcision is um, so tough, too. And these parents in the case, it's like they decided not to do it. And then a medical issue kind of made them do it. And then this happens. I'm sure they blame themselves. Being a parent seems hard. You want to do all the best and it's never enough. And I just can't imagine the guilt. And it's just so sad that these kids committed suicide. It's just like a real fucking bummer. Well, I think the silver lining a little bit is that David did have years of like reclaiming his identity and and living as a man happily. And he did have happy times with his wife and his three adopted children. And, you know, it's, it's interesting as the conversation continues to move forward also about gender identity and stuff like that, to think about people like this who were part of the experimental front lines of it, you know? Yeah. Or like if people are born intersex, it's like, leave them alone. Why don't you just leave them alone until they can decide what to do? You know, it's like to fit into these norms that we have in society that are just lame as hell. Yeah. Um, also, we just want to point out we were we were thrilled and honored to get Mary Stewart Masterson to come on our podcast. But we did reach out to Riley McClendon, the actor. And um, while initially interested, he um, did take some time to listen to our podcast. And uh, because he is now a man of God, he works for a church. He, he decided against it. And I think that's probably we're not we're not church listening material. You know, no, but he did. Th- I think he said it was like funny and a good time, but not for him. I yeah. don't think it was a full on knock of us. Which I think was it's nice. like if your parishioners or your ch- fellow churchgoers hear you hear us, they're like, what exactly are you getting involved in? We if he is listening, we want him to know that he had one of the top one of the top 10 child performances of SVU history, in my opinion. Yeah, I am still curious to know how he feels about everything. Maybe he could just fill out a questionnaire for us uh, really <laughs> quietly or something. I don't know. I need to add something I learned that Lisa thought that that wig was good because I thought that was the worst wig <laughs> SVU has maybe ever had. Lindsay's wig. Yeah, Lisa, I had to go with Pan on this one. <laughs> Lindsay's wig was not a good wig. <laughs> no, and I didn't mention, but Mary Stuart Masterson in this episode had like red string delicate necklaces with a little a uh, shoe horse uh, horseshoe luck charm and i really did appreciate her delicate jewelry it is my you favorite. are a re- you have a real eye for svu jewelry well i love delicate necklaces and i love jewelry that i can see jennifer aniston wearing like that's <laughs> how i pick all my jewelry if she would wear it and she would wear that necklace is this delicate gold that glints against tan skin and a bottle of vitamin water i'll take it 
I mean, is there anyone more iconic? Jen Aniston, get on SVU, you dumb bitch. We need you on. Oh, yeah. And she'd be good as like a um, villain, baby. A villain. I want her a as a villain. character. I don't know why. Like, I could see her doing it a little bit old when she's a little bit even older. And, sh- and she's one of those people that's like, I paid for my grandson to do this so that nobody finds out about his indiscretions. Like, we always have those characters, the Angela Lansbury's and like those older ladies that are like, I threw money at the problem. Leave me alone. NYPD, I pay your salary. And that's like, I would love to see Jen Aniston try to take on one of those. Yeah, I think we need to message our sources and be like, get them Or in there. I could see her as a, like a madam. Yes. Um. All right. But let's go. Anything. Uh, yeah. Don't join a gang <laughs> if you can avoid it. I'm sure so many uh on the precipice of joining a gang members are listening to our podcast. <laughs> and if you are going to join a gang, um, don't advertise it all over you because you'll get more caught by the cops. And if you're going to commit a crime, don't keep the weapon on you. But also, it is funny to when you get arrested for a Rico crime, go, who's Rico? That is funny. Okay, so now it is time for What Would Sister Peg Do? Um, you probably know that this is our segment where we... Just direct you towards a resource, a book, an article, a a charitable organization, research about something that we have touched on in today's episode. I thought that it would be interesting just to direct you guys all to the book that John Colapinto that I referenced in the um, in the true crime portion of the episode uh, that John Colapinto wrote about David Reimer. Um, It's called As Nature Made Him, The Boy Who Was Raised as a Girl. And we have the link in our notes, um, but you can get that on Amazon and on all different places. I think if you're just interested in learning a little bit more about this story, that um, is a great place to start because he is the guy, John Colapinto is the guy who got the story out there and sort of worked with David closely on getting, telling his story. And join us next week. We will be covering Hunting Ground, season 13, episode 15. Get ready for some scary shit. Truly one of the scariest, one of the scariest. And um, as always, they're on Hulu, Peacock. Someone tagged us on a story. They went to the library and checked out SVU DVDs. So that's another way um, to watch the show is support your local library. Bye. Bye bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedappod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedappod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to SVU Superfan and our incredible producer, Hannah Kyle Creighton. And to our sound engineer and personal hero, Annalise Nelson. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song. To Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thanks to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com slash ads. Dun, dun. dun. <laughs>